You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 131. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. And as always, it's an honor and a privilege to have you here. Whether you're on spring break, fall break, however it might be, finishing up your semester as strong as possible is going to be integral to making sure you move forward with your higher education plans. And one of the things I want to make sure that I touch upon today, and we've really touched upon so many amazing topics over the last few months. I mean, we've discussed the tree of impact. I introduced you guys to the hub, discussed how emotions are impermanent. We discussed framing, pre-framing, reframing, deframing, Um, that's super helpful, especially whenever you're in a college environment and you're meeting so many different people. And that's one of the reasons why today we're going to discuss um, how your mind is actually unconsciously programmed to certain behaviors, certain thoughts, certain feelings, certain opinions and beliefs. Why I believe this is an important topic is it seems the more I have been reading up about, you know, the way some of these Twitter campaigns have gone, um, Black Lives Matter, then there's the All Lives Matter, then there's the Me Too movement, and then, the, you know, there's the, the Twitterati call it woke, and, you know, there's QAnon, and there's all these other, right, These it's all these different groups. And they all, according to the people who feel strongly about them, have the reason why theirs is the most right. Um, I'm going to discuss these today as objectively as a human being possibly can. One, because I don't want to offend anyone. Um, Two, I don't know what I could possibly say that would, but I can assure you that people can find offense in anything if they're looking for it. Uh, And three, that I don't really have a need to discuss my opinion about any of these on the show because this isn't what the forum is about. The forum for this show has been, from the moment it started, to introduce you to new ways of thinking and feeling so that you can begin to have self-awareness around the actions and behaviors that you take and you make and you do and you create in your lives, because ultimately, your thoughts and your feelings, they will determine your actions and behaviors. And the more often you repeat the same actions and behaviors, the more they become skills or habits. Um, And if, you know, depending on if it's something that you enjoy doing and that could actually bring you uh, happiness or financial independence or security, it can be considered a talent. If it's a skill or a habit that brings about undesirable results, then all of a sudden now it's a bad habit. Now it's, um, it's toxic or it's, it's, it's just, it's just labeled bad in general. And it's very interesting how habits labeled good can become skills and talents and habits labeled bad can actually end you up, you know, in the hospital, you could be an an addict, you can have, um, 
heart disease, you can you can have bad relationships, poor communication. So much of human existence is wrapped up in this the nuances of our minds. And we're not always aware, especially at a young age, why we do the things that we do. And we're being imprinted and implanted upon from the moment while we're in the womb. You know, the studies have shown that, you know, you can play music and the baby can hear it. They can hear arguing. They are absolutely absorbing the nutrients that the, that the, um, the mother is putting into her body, you know, from the moment, you know, the, whatever you believe conception is or heartbeats again, there's a whole other thing we're definitely not getting into there, but whatever you believe about the gestation of a, of an embryo into a baby inside of a woman, it's just know at some point, right. That it begins to hear, it begins to feel, it already is beginning to adopt senses. And, from that moment on, it is, the brain is just recording. It's always recording. And I've talked about how every single second, 2.3 million bits of data come flying at you, and your brain can only hold 126 of those bits in the conscious mind. The rest of it goes straight to the unconscious organizing. Now, when I dropped that into the computer earlier to figure out how many bits equals a gigabyte, it's like two one thousandth or something. It's not a lot. In fact, it's but it's easier to just call it megabytes. 2.3 million bits is actually only like 2.3 megabytes, which is about the size of a PDF or like a Word doc, which doesn't sound like a lot. You're like, wow, this Word document's got more megabytes in it than, than my brain's trying to take in every single second. What can be lost in that is just look around your room right now and, and notice all the colors and all, all of the shapes and the sizes and the textures. And this is all different bits of data. And this is why Jack Canfield has said it's actually 11 million bits. You know, and other books have said it's 40 million bits. But no matter how many bits they say is coming at you every single second, the 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 number that they give that the human mind can hold, whether it's 126, whether it's 4,000, whether it's 40,000, whatever the number might be, when it's divided, it comes up to the same 0.006%. So it ends up being like 6 one-thousandth of all the information that you're getting at any given second is able to be held by the conscious mind. The rest of it's run through a series of filters and processes, and we're going to dive into those a little bit more next week because I'm going to do a really good job today of keeping this just around the unconscious programming that's happening to you. Now, why am I talking about unconscious programming in the same episode that I talk about Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter and QAnon and Woke and, and, and you know Me Too movement and all of these things? The way the human mind works is that from the moment, again, conception on up, and the moment the senses and hearing and, and sight and, and, and feeling can start to happen, the human brain is recording, and it comes out of the, out of the womb, and now, I mean, imagine you're inside the belly, and you're, you're growing, and it's pretty much the same environment for nine months, 
and then you come out and you've never seen any of the stuff that you've just seen. I wonder if the crying isn't necessarily because they just had the baby just had its first breath as much as it's like, what in the hell? I just went from like a dark, wet environment to bright lights and colors and sights and sounds everywhere. From the moment on, you begin to record what's going on around you and adults and everybody, everything influences the way that you begin to record the world in your unconscious mind. These underlying programs, this, all this, all this programming that's happening. And, and again, I brought this up to somebody today and they were like, we're not computers, we're humans. I'm like, I get that we're not computers, but yet even though the brain, when you know, thought about next to a microchip board or a microprocessor looks very similar um, in the construction of it in the way that information is moved along, you know, whether it be synapses or, you know, I, I don't know enough about computers to be able to say what they move along, but they move, they move along something. Where I want us to start to really dive into this is that we're ultimately strangers to ourselves. And and I'm reading this book right now called The Elephant in the Brain, and it talks about how we don't really even understand our own mind. And because we don't really understand our own mind, our own hidden motives, the programming that's happening um, beneath the surface, you know, at the Marianas Trench level, we don't even realize what's been what's fueling the way that we believe, the way that we think, the way that we act, the micro expressions of our face so much. It's we don't really understand it. We don't know it. It's it's so vast. Um, you know, they say that we understand more about space than we do the oceans. I would I would debate that we know about more about space and the oceans than we do about the human brain. And this book, Elephant in the Brain, starts talking about how we have these cognitive and social psychology kind of um underlying currents in us, this cognitive biases, this self-deception um, that we don't realize that our brains really, they, they can be devious. They We can think of them as just sort of, and I'm quoting this, so I took some really good notes. We can think of our brains as just hapless and quirky, but it's actually quite devious and has the ability to intentionally cover up what we really want through seemingly inconspicuous and chaste actions. And one of the really cool quotes that come out of it by a person named Trivers says that every single stage of processing information from its biased arrival to its biased encoding to organizing it around um, biased logic to misremembering and then misrepresenting to others, we are constantly taking in information, but it's being run through these biased filters. And we talked about um, confirmation bias. We've talked about reticular activating system you know, we we have dove in to this cognitive dissonance about how we like to see ourselves more about more through this lens of who we would like to be or what we hate about ourselves, but we don't often see ourselves as we really are, because the mind won't let us. I don't even know if the if it's the mind has a choice of letting us or not letting us. It's just not necessarily programmed to show us all the intricacies of our personalities. Uh, Pavlov, the great psychologist from, I think, back in the mid-1900s, proved that dogs will salivate when a bell is rung. Humans are just as programmable. In fact, 
we are absolutely programmable. The sun comes up, we can feel the need to get up. Um, you know, any time between 11 and 1 o'clock rolls around and all of a sudden we start to get hungry. You know, the sun starts to go down and we get hungry again. You know, a certain time of the day clicks off and now we need some coffee or we need a snack or we want to lay on the couch and take a nap. We, you know, the old dinner bell that the prairie people would ring, you know, would signal it's time to eat. You know, that's Pavlov's dog. I guarantee you back in the day, the pioneers who heard that triangle get rung, they immediately began to salivate their digestive system immediately started to kick up their mind sent blood to the belly in preparation for the food that it was getting ready to have all humans are unique in the way that they uh, program themselves it's taking place at this macro tiny micro micro macro is bigger than micro it's happening at this like microsecond moment all of this, even the way you're listening to this and whether you like what I'm saying, don't like what I'm saying, uh, whether you feel comfortable in the clothes you're wearing or don't, whether you're happy or sad, whether you're tired or energetic, whether you're walking right now or laying in bed, bathtub, whatever, all of the way that you're taking in the, this experience you're having with me right now is all programmed. It's all It's all based on the way that you've experienced things in the past and then your mind finds similarities in this situation. It misses, it, ma it mismatches, it matches, it, it does its thing and then that creates your experience you're having right now. 131 episodes into this show, if you're still coming along for this ride, then clearly I have connected with you. And so now you've built around a lot of positive feedback loops around this material, around me, around what I talk about. Right. If you've really dove into the material, then you've introduced it to your friends or introduced it to your other teachers or you've read the book and you've had conversations around it. This programming that has been occurring, you know, I even talk about it in the book around the seven powerful principles, right? You know, the developing growth mindset, right? There's programming around that. Are you courageous? Are you decisive? There's programming around that. Do you take action or are you mired in inaction? Right. Do you have discipline or do you find yourself you know, straying away from decisions that you've made? Are you flexible or rigid? Do you even care if you show up in the world embodying tenaciousness? Or are you more than comfortable half-assing it and, and trying to get away with doing as little as possible as long as you get a good grade or you get a good paycheck or people think that you did a lot of work even though you know you didn't do a lot of work? The reasons that you are doing this probably aren't as aware to you as you would think they are. Even when we have that self-awareness we've talked about on this show, we have self-awareness of the things that we are aware of, but we don't see our own blind spots. We're much like a car in that regard, that we don't know what we don't know, and we definitely don't see what we don't see. What we haven't felt before may not be something that we can feel now. Until our mind is introduced to it or somebody points it out or you hear me say something or you read about it in another book and all of a sudden you see or hear or feel something in what you've just heard, saw, or felt, and then all of a sudden your unconscious mind's like, oh, 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 we've done that, we've done that. Oh, no, we haven't done that, we haven't done that. And then whether you wish you had done it or you're glad you didn't do it, again, all comes from this this very biased programming. So much of this programming that's taking place will impact us much further down the road than we realize. We often think that 
we can immediately take in new information and, and immediately do something with it. All right. We, from the moment, you know, we were little kids, whether it be laughing or crying or our eye contact, our body language, we, we often have, we have very little voluntary control over those kinds of behaviors when we're extremely young. As we get older, we have um, a little bit more conscious awareness around it, but a lot less introspection. So by the time we get old enough to even begin to understand what introspection is and self-awareness around our behaviors is, we've already established so many different loops, so many different habits in our life. Right? And more than likely, we're not being raised by emotionally intelligent uh, parents or, or, or parental guardian types that would sit us down at 7 or 11 and say, all right, this is what I'm noticing. And these, these could be some possible scenarios that are happening. Let's talk about what it is that you're experiencing so we can understand what your motivations are for acting this way. Why do you whisper when your brother yells? Or why do you yell when everybody else talks with the inside voice? Why do, you, why do you feel compelled to bully or if you are, you're, you know, you, you are shy and you, and you shy away from the bullying? You know, um, I've got some nieces and nephews. One of them, he's the youngest one, like two and a half years old. We swear this is going to be the one who like figures out a way to jump off the roof with a blanket and actually might fly. He'll charge through a wall, does handstands at two and a half. Meanwhile, his five-year-old sister and his three-year-old brother will ask for blankies and stuff like that by whispering into their parents' ear, while the other one just definitely knows how to say what he wants to say. Is it because he's the third child? All right, was he just born that way? We know so little about the human mind, we don't really know why is one rambunctious while the other two seem to be introverted. What, what Are kids born introverted or extroverted? Or is introversion and extroversion a learned behavior? I know I, I like to discuss some of these things, and it can sound very theoretical because every human has their own unique way of being programmed. Therefore, while the theory of programming has been proven, it, I mean, it's a fact, but the programming I'm talking about is just learned behaviors that we've habituated. That's what we do with a program. We program it if this, then that. If I have a bad day, I want to drink alcohol. If I have a bad day, I want to eat sugar. If I have a bad day, I want to yell at someone. If I have a good day, I want to eat sugar. If I have a good day, I want to drink alcohol. If I have a good day, I don't want to argue with someone. It, it can go. There's there's infinite, infinite, infinite. I could just keep, I could rattle these things off in this episode. It could be 14 years long. So the, the theory of programming has been proven. We're just like the Pavlovian dogs. I mean, we can be programmed by anything. So how this programming has taken place is where the theory comes into play. right? It's not theoretical that we're programmed. That's a fact. We are programmed by so many different things. You can say it's learned behavior. You can, you know, it's, you can say that it, you know, it's, you know, it's nature versus nurture. You can go with any of those if you want. But either way, if we just want to chunk it up to the easiest word to discuss this, we can just say that we're programmed. Right? So that's not theoretical. That's, that's factual. Right? Our brains are being programmed how to behave, when to talk loud, when to talk a little bit, when to laugh. Right? Laugh at a funeral. Everyone thinks you're a jerk. Go laugh at a comedy show. Of course, that's what you're expected to do. That's programming. Right, society places these programs upon us to tell us how to behave in such a manner that we don't get kicked out of the tribe. So when we discuss how the programming has taken place, that's where the theory comes into play. Right, 
Uh, you guys know from my talking that I am, you know, I've got my master's in neurolinguistic programming. I've also studied cognitive behavioral therapy, internal family systems. All of these can shift and change the programming um, very rapidly, right? Because we can go in and we can shift the pictures and the sounds and the feelings and the tastes and the smells of a memory, and we can we can show you where the lesson and the teaching was, and we can we can you know guide you to leave the trauma and the sadness and the pain in the past and bring the lesson, bring the teaching up, and move forward, leaving the trauma and the pain in the past where it belongs. Right? That's there's been enough of that done to prove that, that it works. To varying degrees, of course, because all humans' brains are unique and some things need to be done multiple times in order for it to be a, the desirable outcome to be achieved. You know, and it's certainly uh, repetition and the practicing of it and the doing of it and then understanding what it is you're seeking to heal from and then paying attention to it until you've healed from it. All of these things factor into how rapidly you can create change in your life. Again, with the theory, it comes back into play when we are discussing the hows of this programming and then the hows that you can reprogram yourself. Now I can really start to draw the lines for why I was discussing all of these social um, justice, injustice movements that are going on right now and why I'm discussing it around programming. It's the hows of the programming we don't know how anybody was programmed to be racist, to be sexist, to be misogynist, to be whatever whatever negative connotation you might have around a particular sector of society. Right? We're not really sure how the programming happens. Sure, they might have a racist grandparent, and we could say, oh, well, then that's the reason. Well, if everybody else around him was not being racist and only grandpa was, then there's a very good chance that they were getting other other influences to not be racist. Then you're like, okay, well, what about micro expressions? What about movies? What about um, songs? There's so much, right? For it, for the output to be somebody in their forties who is wildly racist, sexist, misogynistic, ageist, religionist, whatever, um, fascist, socialist, communist, you know, whatever it might be. So many different influences happen throughout their life that create that. Right? I once read something that said that Hitler really wanted to be an artist, and when that didn't work out, he went into the military, and we all know how that turned out. Right? Fidel Castro wanted to get wanted to be a baseball player and got cut by the New York Yankees, went back to Cuba, got into politics, and we all know how that turned out. Right? Their programming was leading them one way. Things didn't play out. They went another way. Would artistry or baseball ever have kept Castro or Hitler from going off and ultimately doing what they did? Who knows? Because we only have the current reality we live in to study and understand. So when we start to, to get mad at people for coming into middle school or high school or college or going out into the quote-unquote real world, having these uh, these pre-programmed uh, biases, these isms in their life. And next week when we discuss deletion, distortion, and generalization, you'll understand that the brain generalizes as a way of making it easier for it to understand the millions of bits of data coming at it every second. If you didn't generalize how a door opened, every time you walked up to a door, your brain would have to rethink how doors open. After a while, it just generalizes. It sees a doorknob, depending on where 
on the door, the doorknob is, it quickly decides this is how this is going to open. Out to the left, out to the right, up, down, in and out, all of the above. Right? It generalizes. Well, that's great when it comes to doors. Right? We see it, we see a can of some carbonated beverage. We know how to open it because all cans are generalized into the same pop the little tab and now delicious beverage comes out. Great. We don't have to think about how to open a can anymore. But when we see someone of a different race or gender or whatever from us, right, we begin to generalize. The brain's like, it will just like do have I had good experiences with someone of that race? Have I had bad experiences with someone of that race? And this stuff has happened throughout their lives. Right? They might be cognizant, they might be very aware that they house racism or ageism or any of the isms. Right? They might be aware that they do it, but they may not be aware of where the programming came to do it. They could say, oh, well, I had this one thing when I was four years old and I was picked on, or I had a grandparent who told me this story. There's, there's these, there might be these big anchors that they can call upon, but that's just their mind allowing them to see those big anchors. The self-deception that's happening in our minds all the time what I talked about earlier about how at every single stage of processing information from its biased arrival, biased encoding to organizing it around uh, biased logic to misremembering and misrepresenting it to others, our mind is only aware of whatever it can be aware of. Outside of its own awareness, even the unconscious mind will still direct us to be aware of the things that we're programmed to be aware of. And if this sounds like a riddle, or sounds like I'm taking you down a rabbit hole that even Alice in Wonderland and the White Rabbit are not happy to be down, it can be like that. And I want you to experience some of this confusion you feel right now. One, confusion is a sign that you're about ready to have a breakthrough. And two, um, confusion lets you know that you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone into your growth zone. When you get pissed off at people for having different viewpoints on social issues, understand that it was years of programming that led them to become the version of the human standing in front of you. When we get pissed off at people for making offhanded comments, when recordings come out of somebody having what they thought was a private conversation, right, and all of a sudden it's public, yeah, yeah. It could come off really bad because humans can say bad things. Humans can be mean. Humans can have emotions that get unleashed at you know just the wrong time. That words will come out of our mouths. Thoughts will be had. Feelings will be associated to those thoughts. And the action will be saying some stuff we are not going to want the public to hear. You might be sitting there saying, oh, Jesse, I've never done that. I'm infallible. I've never once said anything that I, would, that I wouldn't be okay with my mom or the Pope or Jesus or, you know, or my significant other or my kids from hearing. And I'd say, okay, I mean, that's great. You want to live in that little bubble that you think that you've never said anything that could have you getting canceled by the Twitterati just as fast as anyone else. Congratulations. You are the outlier. You are the 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of 1%. You're the Jesus walking on the planet. Because we're humans. And part of our the human existence, part of the human experience is that 
we will feel anger and we'll feel jealousy and we'll feel rage. And, you know, it's like, yes, we could all be the Buddha, the Allah, the Gandhi, the Jesus of, of the planet where we're infallible, you know, and even I know people who are extremely religious. I am not. I'm using, I'm utilizing some of these names in order for you to be able to draw a connection between some people who are very much held up on a pedestal as being infallible, has having never done anything wrong. And it, I wasn't around them, so I have no idea if any of those people did something. I don't know if they, you know, went to go cut the pie and made sure their slice was a little bit bigger. I don't know. But I do know that when we start to cancel people and get angry at them because they say something in private that gets public, or they say something in public that's completely out of line, that, that is absolutely offensive, we have to understand that there is a, there is a, an immense an immense amount of programming that has happened in that person's life to lead them to have that viewpoint and let alone feel comfortable enough shouting that viewpoint from the rafters. I'm not saying that their viewpoint is right. I'm not condoning the things that people say that are offensive. I want to introduce you to a new way of thinking about that person when they say those offensive things. Understand that Massive programming has happened to them. Massive programming has happened to you. You want to be gentle on other people whenever they show, you know, what's the saying my, my mom used to say, you know, some people just show you their ass, right? But they do have, but they do have the opportunity to cover it up, right? It's like some people are going to show you who they are. People can get reprogrammed out of that if they choose to want to, if they choose to have experiences that give them some level of enlightenment to how the other people live. There was a show done by the guy who did Super Size Me. It was on one of those A&E or, you know, TV land kind of channels where basically he would take people who were complete opposites, lived in different parts of the country, and he would have them live together or get to like move one of them into the house. Uh, the one example I can remember of is they took like some Kentucky farmer boy and they moved, they, they took him to, this guy took him to San Francisco and moved him in with two gay dudes. And before this, the, you know, the, the Southern guy very much, you know, uh, homophobic, wasn't down with it, didn't really want to talk about it, definitely didn't want to know anyone who was gay. Uh, gay people in San Francisco had a, very much had stereotypes about what a Southern boy, would, a mother, Southern man was going to be talking about when he got there. And by the end of the episode, they were homies because they sat down and they got to understand one another. They realized that they're all searching for the same, the same human needs to be fulfilled. Certainty, which covers security and stability and balance. Variety, where we want, where we seek new adventures and new learnings and new ways of experiencing things. Love and connection, feeling like we're part of a tribe, like we're we're part of a committee, we're part of a group. You see that all over college campuses. There's a group or a club for everything. Right? We want to have significance in that club. We want to have significance in somebody's life. We want to be important to people. We don't need to have we don't necessarily seeking to have statues built in our honor. Certainly those people exist and we can, you know, Bezos and the Musks and and you know the billionaires of the world certainly like, you know, most of them are very happy having their name in lights. Right? Then we can, you know, once we start to think about um the certainty, the 
the variety, the love, the connection, the, the significance, right? Then we can start to move into getting personal growth and having contribution to our tribe, our communities, our families, our pe- other people's lives. These are the same basic six human needs that all humans are seeking to have fulfilled. Nobody does anything against you. They do it for themselves. If you see people standing up and speaking out against something that you have strong opinions and values and beliefs attached to, right? Your knee-jerk reaction is going to be to want to defend your way of thinking because it's your world. You're the center of your universe. It's going to be difficult for you to see it from their point of view because you didn't live their point of view. And all this point of view stuff I'm talking about is this programming that's happened. Right, somebody born in, in in you know deep in the country or up in the woods and up in the hills and the mountains is going to have a completely different point of view, completely different programming than somebody raised in the city. Urban and rural are not going to have the same programming. Then when we get everybody into a college environment where we come from a wide array of socio you know economic backgrounds and races and creeds and, and colors and, and genders and then there you know there's the fluidity of that that's, that we're, that's being discussed now and there's women's rights and men's rights and various you know other uh con- you know slap you know there, there's the asian american and african american and there's hispanic american i mean they have all of these right they all converge onto a campus. I mean, and it's a hotbed for learning and and growing and evolving. That's why we go to college. We go to experience wildly new things. How much ever we learn from class, who knows, but we definitely learn a lot about life there. We have this opportunity to um, integrate and coalesce with people from wide array of backgrounds the international students that come from Scandinavia or Africa or Australia, Western, Eastern Europe, Russia, China, everywhere in South America is going to have a whole different cultural vibe, a whole different kind of programming. And they're going to come onto your campus and they're going to have completely different views. Even if they have the same, similar views, same as, you know, that's subjective perspective, but even the similar views, they're going to have been, uh, habituated and programmed to, to have those completely differently than the way you were. This is really an episode about accepting people for who they are, getting to know them, embracing the differences. Just because you hear them say something that comes off as, as one of the ists or isms doesn't mean you condone it. And when I say is, I-S-T-S, right, it's racist or sexist or isms, racism, sexism, right? Just because they, 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 they might say something like, wow, that is totally an ist or totally an ism. Or just because you listen to it and you start up a conversation with them and you don't scream in their face, right? One, congratulations, you're better than people who get paid to talk on TV. But two, you learn more about what's happened in their life that has created this viewpoint, Babies aren't born racist. They're not born sexist, misogynistic, genderist, religionist. Isms and ists don't exist to a baby. It comes from society. It comes from the people around them. It comes from the magazine covers they see at the grocery store as they're checking out with their parents. It comes from the television commercials that they're shown. All these little micro expressions, all these little micro things that we don't think mean diddly squat are being recorded by the child's mind because it's le- it's learning and seeing things for the first time. 
when you meet somebody who has a different point of view than you, who has different uh, programming than you, and has a different whole outlook on life than you, they're not wrong. It's just different. It's unique to them. You have an opportunity in that moment to embrace the differences and get to know them better. Or if you choose not to do that, at least you can walk away and you can just say, they are them and I am me and I'm going to go over here and be happily with my own family. It can be either or. I, I worry that the, some of the yelling and screaming that's been going on in society over the last couple of years, whether it be COVID or Trump or Biden or social issues, um, is more about this fear that if somebody doesn't scream louder than the other person's you know, um, message will, will get heard more. And if you, you know, if you are, you know, let's just use the politicians that we all know by name. If you're pro Biden, then you're anti Trump. If you're pro Trump, you're anti Biden. So you feel like you've got to scream louder than a Trump supporter because you think what they're saying is toxic. Meanwhile, the Trump supporter thinks that the Biden supporter is toxic. So now they've got to scream louder. So now you have these two sides screaming at each other rather than having any kind of adult, I'm using air quotes here because adults are the literally the people who are screaming at each other on the television and in the newspapers and on social media, right? We're, we literally see them screaming at each other and we wonder why there can't be any kind of mature, rational conversation around this stuff. Just because you scream louder than them doesn't mean that you're right. And just because you let them get their words out doesn't mean that somehow that they're, from your perspective, their toxic words are somehow going to infiltrate the whole of society. So you better scream louder than them right now, or one day all of humanity's rumination will be, will be, will be, will lead back to this moment when you didn't scream at this person at a rally or scream at this person on social media. You don't scream at that person on social media today, and one day the future of humanity after the destruction and rumination and World War Seven go down, they're going to somehow trace it all back to that day you didn't scream at somebody else for having a different opinion you thought was toxic. To me, the rumination in World War Seven they're more likely to happen the louder we think screaming at one another is actually benefiting each other. When someone says something on your college campus that you don't agree with, it's not your opportunity to cancel them, get them kicked out of school, cause their life major havoc. If somebody says something, I remember sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Yes, there's a point in time where somebody escalates the situation to violence, physical harm, the bullying, you know, that can begin to break down uh, emotional health and mental health. Okay. We'll have this conversation. We'll figure out ways to have these kind of uh, mature, rational conversations in a way where you and them and everybody else can feel like they're in a, a, a space where their words will be heard equally amongst everybody else's words. Saying that we're always going to create safe spaces is a subjective perspective because what one person thinks is a safe space, another person could think is confining. Another person could think is the government overreach or the campus overreach or the authoritarian overreach. Safe space to one is, is, is you know, martial law to the next. We have an opportunity in our world, especially in the college level, to make massive change. 
right? We often say that children are the future. I believe every single human who takes a breath is the future. If you're 20 years old and you live to be 80, you have 60 more years of life. That is a lot of time to influence the world in a better way, in a more desirable way. Why should a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old all of a sudden be called the children of the future while a 20, 30, 40, or 50-year-old is meanwhile is like, oh, whatever. Who cares what they say? Children are important. All children eventually become adults. We don't lose importance. We, we do gain more control over our behaviors and actions. We gain more self-awareness and, and the ability to have introspection on our thoughts and our feelings. This is the things that we gain as we grow older and mature, or don't mature, I suppose. But it doesn't make us less important. In fact, it makes us equally important as everybody else, because in your own social circle, when you hear somebody say something that you can find a little off-putting, you can have that conversation in the moment that expands it beyond, I'm right, you're wrong. If we live in a world where everyone feels the desire, the need to be right, and no one seeks to connect, we're just going to be nothing but a, but a disintegrated, splintered society. And then what do we do? Break up into 50 separate countries? Break up into 200 separate countries? Begin to um, segregate our college campuses so, so certain people can feel like they have a safe space? rather than creating conversations that, that open people up to the idea of being loving and kind and vulnerable and cheerful to everybody so no one feels like they have to hide, no one feels like they have to go run to a safe space in order to be themselves. I get that this can sound extremely heady to the point of insanely difficult, if not some of you calling it straight up impossible. But like Ted Lasso says, I'm possible. Anything I think, I am possible. I have the ability to create it, to manifest it in the world if I am willing to have the conversations with others about what it is I feel, I think, I, I see, I hear. And I do it in such a way that they can be welcome to give me a different opinion and we can have a rational conversation around it. College was meant to be a place to radically change our lives. Why does it seem like we're hell-bent on confining it into a place that continues to, to give us the status quo? Shake it up. Listen to other people. Have conversations with other people. I don't say it as a, just a, as a clever ending to episodes. I honest to God mean it when I say inclusivity over exclusivity. The power of positive energy, release, and flow. These are the ways you can begin to see your life, the way you can experience it. And if your programming isn't, hasn't led you to that, then let's work on that. Whether it's through this show, whether it's going over to the hub, my very first course that I released over there is specifically about how our minds are programmed and encoded from the moment we're born on so that you can get a, a baseline for how your mind works. Now, it's not all-encompassing. I didn't go off Bill Nye the science guy on this, but it's done in a, in a layman way that can allow you to say, oh, oh, okay. All right, so that's what's been going on the whole time. All right, cool. Now that it's in my awareness, I can be more observant of it. 
And it's through the observation of yourself and the introspection that you can begin to create a more desirable version of yourself. And I can assure you, people will notice and they will have the desire to also increase themselves around you. And that, my friends, is a world I want to live in. Not the one where everyone's screaming at each other because I've seen where that leads. And that, my friends, sounds a whole lot like World War VII. And by that point, we're going to be, I don't know, fighting with leaves and twigs because we are going to have destroyed everything else around us. Your mind is a terrible thing to waste. So be mindful of how you're using it. Much love, everybody. As always, inclusivity or exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. If you would like to know more about the hub, I created it. It's called the Wise Mind Empowerment Hub. It's specifically here to lead you to help understand yourself and others at a deeper level so that you can, you know, increase your physical development, uh, maintain and, and, and definitely grow your emotional intelligence. Your mental abilities and acuity will grow and you will definitely become more spiritually grounded, more around your mind, body, spirit, you know, this values, beliefs, opinions, and not anything to do with religion. I welcome everybody. This is this is the hub. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is treated as equals over there. If you're interested in it, jessemogul.com forward slash the hub. I'd love to see you there. As always, much love, everybody. See you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>